Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, the title of the message is in connection with this. It's called Only Believe. S- two simple words. Only believe. That's it. And of course, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 35, he's telling this to a man whose daughter just died. Now think about that. What a counseling session. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Verse 36, can you pull up the next verse? And when Jesus heard these words, he said to him, Be not afraid. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid. Notice this. Only believe. Only believe. In other words, don't be fear-driven. Only believe. Now, what you just heard can cause a lot of fear and all kinds of emotions, but don't gravitate toward that. Stop that immediately. Only believe is what he tells them to do. Well, when Andrew was born blue, in the birthing room and it was obvious that something serious was wrong with him and you're in that situation where it seems like the rug's been pulled out from beneath you to hear the voice of the Lord within by the Spirit of God which I believe was the Holy Spirit speaking saying fear not only believe and I just knew in a flash that this was exactly what was told to Jairus. Be not afraid, only believe. Only he said, fear not, only believe. And when you hear those words, they become your foundation for faith. Only believe. Nothing else. Just believe. And those two words became our anthem. Those two words we just proclaimed With every situation we heard, when the possibility of the situation was presented to us, when they said he could die in your arms, he could die in surgery, take your pick, our only response was, we believe. We believe. Think about that. Only believe. Okay, so we believe. Seems like you should be doing something a whole lot more than just saying, we believe. Seems like you should be involved in all kinds of things, but we just believe. Apparently, what we believe is important to God. As a matter of fact, if you consider these verses, you'll find out that believing is connected to a lot of things. He told Martha in the face of Lazarus being dead for four days and his body being beginning to decay, in John chapter 11, verse 40, he said, Martha, didn't I tell you that if you would but believe, you would see the glory of God. Notice, he didn't say if you run through hoops, if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God. Anybody here desire to see the glory of God? 
believe. And I said this last week, I'm going to continue saying it. God wants us to come together every time we come. When you're driving the church, I believe to see the glory of God. But not just in church all the time. But, but when you're coming here to church also, I believe to see the glory of God. I'm believing to see the glory of God. I'm not going there for any other reason but to see God's glory manifest itself in powerful ways to save the lost, to heal the sick, to set the captives free, to work miracles in the lives of the people that will be attending the service. And then also in Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 22, another important verse and another important message about believing. All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, what? Believing. Notice he didn't say doubting. Notice he didn't leave the word believing out. He didn't say whatever you ask in prayer you shall receive. He said whatever you ask in prayer believing you shall receive. And we know we've been taught we've got to believe he heard us and that we have the petition that we've desired of him. So he focuses our attention on believing that he heard us. I need to know that he heard me like Jesus knew that the father heard him when he said that Lazarus' sickness was not unto death, but for the glory of God. And then also, another important verse in Mark eleven twenty three, he told us we have to believe in our words if we want to move the mountains that stand between us and victory. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe something. Believe what? that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he's saying we have to believe in our words. Anybody want to remove mountains? Obstacles? Difficulties? Circumstances? Situations? That contradict the will and the word of God? Then speak. He said speak to your mountain, but from your heart believe in your words. Are you battling something this evening? Is something confronting you right now that you are unhappy with? Start speaking some words of faith and declaring what the word says about the situation. There's power in the spoken word of God. The rhema, when we proclaim it and declare it. And then in John chapter 6, when Jesus was asked, what shall I, what's the work that they should do? Jesus answered and said in verse 29, this is the work of God. They, the question was, what shall I do to work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God. Well, what's the work of God that you believe? That you believe on him whom he hath sent. And he's speaking of himself. Jesus. Do you believe on Jesus tonight? So believing is critical to whatever it is we want to experience in God. And we want to explore that a little bit more tonight. And I thought that this was something to really pursue. Um, do you know unbelief give God, gives God fits did you know that if anyone should want to pull his hair out it'd be God because unbelief just gives him fits and the Israelites were full of it they were full of unbelief and doubt look at the book of Numbers chapter 14 verse 11 and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? 
for all the signs which I have showed among them. He showed them so many signs, many, many signs, but they would not believe him. And when the time came that they were to believe him, they refused to do so. And as a result, they were denied entrance into the promised land. And oh, was God furious with them. Look in um, also in Psalms, chapter 78 Psalm, and look at verses 21 and 22. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. That means he was angry beyond words. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Why? Because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Can you see where unbelief gives him fits? He was so fit to be tied, he wanted to disown them. Uh, before their entrance into the glory days of the, of the land of Canaan, you know, they spent some time in there. He, they gave him fits. You th think about, for example, Abraham and Hagar. Didn't he tell Abraham that you and Sarah will have a child? Well, apparently... They didn't believe that at the beginning because he had a child with Hagar and his name was Ishmael, right? So apparently he didn't believe until he got to a place where he had to believe, then he did believe. But you start with him and then you have like Esau selling his birthright. And why? Because he didn't believe in a birthright or the blessing of it and didn't care about it. Think about Jacob. You know, we, we, we talk about these Bible characters and sometimes we place them up on a pedestal somewhere and don't realize their humanity. But you look at Jacob and what did he do? Deceived, lied to get his brother's blessing, birthright. Did he not? Absolutely. And so, once again, why would you do that? He didn't believe that God could bless him any other way. So he had to go through the back door to try to get the blessing. And then you got Joseph. Joseph, of course, has a dream. He's excited about it. But do his, will his brothers believe that this was of God? Absolutely not. So they sell him into slavery. And from then it just continues on. God is so upset with them because of their unbelief. They spend 400 years in Egypt. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And some say 350, some say 400, some say 430. Actually, I've, I've read somewhere where they, some say it wasn't even 250-some years. But it doesn't really matter. It's a long time that they spent in slavery. Then 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why? Because of unbelief. They had two temples that were destroyed. They lost the Ark of the Covenant. It was stolen. I mean, the list goes on and on. And God wants to disown them. Look in Exodus chapter 32. He wants to just, just absolutely disown them. And why? Because they just refused to believe. All they had to do was believe. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them. And that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. I don't want them anymore. Was his cry. They will not believe. So let's start over again. I'll start with you. Well, that's the negative side of it. But the positive side is this. 
Believing is something that God appreciates. It pleases him when his people believe his word. I know Hebrews eleven six, 6, and you know the verse that says that it's impossible to please him without faith. So we believe, and that pleases him. But I want you to see something in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, first couple of verses. Whereas under Moses' leadership, they were denied entrance into the promised land because they would not believe to get into that land. Not because they didn't see the glory, not because they didn't see the signs, not because they didn't see the miracles and all that. They would not get in the promised land because they refused to believe his word. Okay. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give even to the children of Israel. So now we see Moses dies. God speaks to Joshua. Joshua listens. Joshua believes. Then we see things begin to happen. The waters of the river Jordan part. The walls of Jericho come down. The sun stands still. The kings of Canaan are defeated and overcome. And then we see them entering into the promised land. The land that flows with milk and honey, experiencing the glory days and the, the joys of everything that God has provided for them. And why did they get, get in? How did they get in? They believed. You see, if we don't believe, then we can't be denied entrance into the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. And so that's why it's important to hear the right message. You see, if we hear the wrong message, then our faith can be undermined. And the enemy can take advantage of the fact that we're not hearing the right gospel message. Look in Joshua chapter 21. Here we see that they entered the promised land, and in that place God blessed them. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And faith, or believing in the promises of God, is what got them in. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers, and there stood not a man, notice this, of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. They were victorious over all their enemies, not because they were stronger, not because they were more in number, not because they were better equipped or anything like that, not because they had better military strategies and political powers and all that. They overcome and they were victorious. Why and how? Because they believed God. Like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what can they do against a burning, fiery furnace? Absolutely nothing. They're powerless and at the mercy of such a thing. But when you go in there believing God, praise God, he goes in there with you. And you will come out without the smell of smoke on you. Why? Because of something they did because of their muscle? No, because of their skills? No, there is nothing that they could possibly do. But believing will get you in and get you out unscathed. Thanks be to God. Let's just take a moment and rehearse the journey. 
the journey, number one. The journey begins in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they're a slave to Pharaoh. Pharaoh oppresses them, treats them inhumane. It's awful that what they're experiencing there in Egypt. But there they are in slavery, and there's nothing they can do about it as far as in the natural. And then a deliverer comes, and what's his name? Moses. Moses is led by God to go there and get them out of Egypt, and so they are delivered from Egyptian bondage. They are delivered from Pharaoh, you could say. But now they're where? In the wilderness. And in the wilderness... They're not bound or enslaved by Pharaoh, but they are enslaved to fear and unbelief. They are trekking through the wilderness, and at every stop, they are murmuring, they are complaining, because you see, they don't believe that the God who brought them out can provide a table in the wilderness. They don't believe he can satisfy them and as far as their needs are concerned, they don't believe he can do that. It's impossible as far as they're concerned. And they conclude that he brought them out so that they would just die there in the wilderness. And it infuriates the Lord who brought them out. He brought them out with silver and gold. There wasn't one feeble among their tribe. Think about those two statements right there. He brought them out to care for them as far as prosperity is concerned, to provide for their financial needs. And also, I do believe he knew about the building of the temple and all that had to be funded and provided for. So they brought all the wealth of Egypt out. Well, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, right? So they brought it all out. And there isn't one feeble among their tribe. It means they were all delivered, healed, set free, restored, and made whole. And you think they would rejoice over that and think, well, my goodness, if he could do that for us, bringing us out, that was an impossibility as far as in a natural is concerned. To do what he did, obviously he could do whatever else we need him to do for us. There was the cloud by day, the fire by night. There was manna from heaven. There was water out of a rock. There was all those things provided for them, but they were enslaved to what? Fear and unbelief. Fear is a force that will prevent faith from operating and tapping into the resources of heaven. And so the enemy knew that. And so as a result, they were afraid and, and uh, there was no op uh, opportunity for them to get into the promised land. And then, of course, under Joshua's leadership, a new generation was raised up. And the Joshua generation finally did get into the promised land. And in the promised land, what did they enjoy? What did they experience? The blessings of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Beginning at verse 10, they enjoyed the blessings of the promised land. Here's part of the blessings. It shall, come to, it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware to thy fathers. Notice the language that's used here. It's the Lord that will bring you into the land. He swore to your fathers. He's emphasizing the fact that God made an oath. God made a covenant. To Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities that you didn't build. Houses full of good things that you didn't go to Ikea and buy. And wells digged that you didn't dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, 
Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. So it was God who was going to enable them to get in. But then when they got in, they would experience these glory days. Also included in the blessings in the glory days in Canaan's land. I'll take sickness away from the midst of you, disease away from the midst of you. I will fulfill the number of your days. I'll bless your bread. I'll bless your water. Think about it. I'll become an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. All these things were the blessings of the promised land. See, the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is here on earth. And here on earth, they can experience the blessings that God provided for them while they would serve him with their lives and honor him. He would care for them in every way imaginable. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, he would care for them. Well, how's that relevant to us? Well, first of all, let's consider Egypt. Egypt is a type of our being bound in the kingdom of darkness. We are enslaved by sin. And of course, we know the enemy, Satan himself, is ruler over the kingdom of darkness. And that's where we all were in the world. So Egypt is a type of the world. It's a type of the kingdom of darkness. It's a type of us being in bondage to sin and all that Satan stands for. At that time, we were all without hope, without God in the world. And we really had no access to God. But God sent a deliverer, not Moses. What was his name? Jesus. And Jesus came to deliver us and set us free from this satanic bondage and from the powers of the kingdom of darkness. And in the book of Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, giving thanks to the Father which hath made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We have an inheritance who has delivered us, hath, past tense, delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So just as the Israelites were brought technically, legally out of Egypt, you and I have been removed from the jurisdiction of the kingdom of Satan and darkness and placed in the kingdom of Almighty God. And so thank God we have a deliverer who has already delivered us. You know, it would be a whole lot better for us instead of trying to get delivered from something today to recognize that we've already been delivered from it and stop trying to get what we already have. But just voicing our faith in the accomplishments of Jesus, the finished work of Christ, and say, I'm delivered from that. I've been set free from that. Who the Son sets free is free indeed, which is why he wants us to stay in the Word and acknowledge the fact he's already done the work. But here's where the problem lies, and that's the second thing. The wilderness. What is the wilderness experience as far as the believer's life is concerned? Well, thank God he brought us out of Egypt. But now he's got to get Egypt out of us. See, we were thoroughly trained in the kingdom of darkness and in the world. By nature, we were told we were children of wrath, even as others, and yielding to our fleshly desires and lusts and all that. We were highly skilled and highly trained in selfishness. Do we admit that? That's exactly how we were. It was all about self. It was all about me, what I can get, what I can have, and all that sort of thing. So even though we came out of the darkness, we have to go through or trek through the wilderness experience where what do we do? We learn to grow and mature. We learn to 
all about what Jesus has accomplished in his finished work. We have to learn this. We have to recognize this. And as he said, come to me, you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and upon you. Learn to me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest unto your soul. So in other words, he is saying, you've got to learn some things because as you learn these things along the way to the promised land, they're going to enable you to get in because you're going to find out that you have ceased from your works. You've set aside your abilities, your skills, your talents. There's nothing you can do to achieve this promised land experience, this place of ultimate glory. We've got to acknowledge that, praise God, He did it all for us. It's already been done. It belongs to us. Salvation is ours. Healing is ours. Deliverance is ours. Victory is ours. It all belongs to us. Prosperity is ours. It's already done. But we had nothing to do with it whatsoever. It was all because of Jesus and what He did for us. So the wilderness experience is learning about the finished work of Christ and believing in it. For example, recently someone just said to me, the devil's really powerful. I said, no, he's not. He's been defeated. But you see, if the devil can deceive someone into thinking he's really powerful, then you see, fear will keep us out of the promised land. But when we start recognizing that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, and that fear is overcome by power, love, and a sound mind, and then we realize that he's given us power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. When we educate ourselves spiritually and we learn that blessed truth, then instead of falling for the lies of Satan and being deceived, thinking that he's so powerful... Yeah, but doesn't the Bible say he's like a roaring lion? Yeah, with no teeth. Gone. Let him roar, but he can't bite. Unless you think he can gum you to death. No. See, Canaan's land is not heaven, as I said. Canaan's land is our living our lives on this earth in a place in Christ, victory, Knowing that we have victory over anything and everything this world brings our way. It's the fulfillment of 3 John 2 that says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. It is the reality of he made us more than conquerors through him that loves us. It's the reality of greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's not just a wonderful scripture to quote. It is a reality in our lives that he is greater in us than what we're facing in this world today. And remember, the only thing we're doing is believing it. We're believing it. We're declaring it. We're decreeing it. We're saying it. I believe that, praise God, I've been saved, washed in the blood, healed, delivered, brought out of the realms of darkness, I'm now in the kingdom of God. I've got power over all the power of the enemy. I have the right to use the name of Jesus. I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. And the list goes on and on. We are learning these things in the wilderness experience. So why we can get into the place of our promised land where we experience the reality of all these provisions made for us in Christ. Oh, thank God for the victory that we have in him. You know, um, before we get into what these others believed and, and how they fell short and then when they believed right, a survey was conducted of 1,000 churches. And in this survey, what they did was they, they 
confronted all these individuals to find out just how many of them were experiencing the glory of the promised land. In other words, as they live their lives as a Christian on earth, are they experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to bring? Remember he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, let's not focus on that. Let's not emphasize that. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Look at that. The more abundant life comes from Jesus. The less life comes from the enemy. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Do we have more confidence or faith or belief in what the enemy can do or in what Jesus has done? I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. Well, to the surprise of this research group, 11% of Christians said that they have what they believe to be a victorious Christian life. That means 89% of Christians were living their life in the wilderness on the outside looking in, seeing it but not tasting it. That is the promised land, the victorious life. And you know what? I believe, I believe it's because of wrong teaching. I really do. I believe they're not hearing the right message. Because, beloved, the truth and knowing it is what makes us free. If we continue in his word, we're his disciple indeed, we'll hear the truth, we'll know the truth, and it will make us free. It will enable us to rise up to a place that we can experience the full blessings of the gospel of Christ. But if we hear a message that says it may not be God's will to help you, may not be God's will to heal you, you can serve me better this way and that way. If you hear all that negativity, that quesadasadah, what will be will be message, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. To think that he is powerful, to think that he can do so many things and manipulate a person's life. You know what? God doesn't want us to live our lives in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. He wants us to realize how much God loves us and that he loves us so much he made provisions for us. And in Christ, we've been given everything. So praise God, I believe that we can live victorious lives, don't you? And we should live victorious lives. And if we're not living one, stop saying that we're not and start saying that it's been provided for me so I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to start believing that mountains move when I speak. Speak to your mountain and they're going to have to move. You know why? Because I'm adjusting and tweaking my believing to line up with the word of God. And if Jesus said I could speak to a mountain, then I can't. And it will go. If he said I got power over all the power of the enemy, then I do. Hallelujah. I'll never forget I got a call from one of my cousins. And she was beside herself because she was living in this apartment building. And uh, actually it was the house. She was renting a house. And she said, you know, the drawers are opening, the forks and the knives are flying out, light bulbs are, are, are coming up, being unscrewed in the middle of the night. All this demonic activity is taking place. It's almost like one of those movies, you know, a horror movie with uh, all demonic activity. And I know her. She, she wouldn't lie about it. She said, I just don't know what to do about it. I said, well, just take your phone as we're talking, and walk around the house, and now let me talk. And I said, I take authority over every demon power, every evil spirit, and command you to desist in your maneuvers and just get off the property because you don't belong there. 
I didn't hear from her for a year. A year later, she calls back and she says, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know I haven't had an incident ever since you did that. Not one incident in over a year ever since you did that. We need to know we have power and authority over all the power of the enemy. We need to know that the greater one lives in us and he's greater in us than he's in the world. And we should not cower in fear because of things like this happening. We should just rise up, praise God, with the holy boldness and just say, well, praise God, I've got an answer. His name's Jesus. There's power and authority over all this power that the enemy has. Now look at Numbers uh, chapter 13, verse 33. This is what they believed. <laughs> this is what's important. Because you see, if you believe wrong, you're going to have wrong. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. This is what they believed. They believed they were bugs facing giants. That's what they believed. Just a bunch of bugs. And all these huge giants are coming against us. Well, they saw themselves that way. They believed they were no match for their enemy. They believed they were unable to overcome and enter in. That's what they believed. And because they believed that, they were denied entrance into the promised land. They could not experience the glory of the promised land. They couldn't have the wells that they didn't dig, the houses they didn't build, filled with good things they never provided for. They couldn't experience all those wonderful things that he offered them and said belonged to them because of their doubt and unbelief. And it's very clear in the book of Hebrews as to why they didn't, reason why they didn't enter in. Remember Hebrews chapter 3 verses 18 and 19? That's what they said. It says they could not enter in because of their unbelief. And to whom was he grieved with for those years? But those that were spent the 40 years in the wilderness because why? They didn't believe. Notice, he didn't say they didn't work hard enough. He didn't say that they didn't uh, give more or enough. They refused to believe. And you would think that that sounds like just the simplest thing that we could possibly do. To believe what? God is bigger than the enemy. We're not to be deceived or duped into thinking that the enemy is bigger than our God. We're not to be duped into thinking that the circumstances more than God can handle. But if we're looking at ourselves and comparing ourselves to the problem, we may look like bugs in the sight of giants. But praise God, we're not supposed to look at ourselves. Greater is he that is in us. That's where we're supposed to be looking. He's greater than he that is in this world. So, they were saved, but they were stuck in the wilderness. They were redeemed, but they weren't released from their fears. They spent 40 years in a monotonous lifestyle. How about this? Eating the same food for 40 years, drinking the same water for 40 years. Can anybody blame them for wanting quail? Can anybody blame them? I don't think we can. I mean, 40 years of manna, 40 years of water. Oh, my. But that was the result of their unbelief, was it not? But remember what was offered in the promised land. You see, they could see it, but they couldn't taste it because of their unbelief. Oh, man, there was quelleroni in the promised land. I mean, there was all kind of stuff, all kind of good. The grapes were so big, they had to carry them on a stick 
with two people holding them up. I mean, there was all kind of good things in the promised land, but no, they wouldn't believe. They couldn't believe that God was bigger than the giants. And so as a result, they're stuck in that monotonous, mundane routine of life every single day, wandering, going about in a circle for 40 years. And God gave them a lot of time to think about what they did wrong. And during that time, God raised up another generation under Joshua. And under Joshua, he taught them specific principles that would enable them to get into the promised land by faith. And you can read them in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Joshua. Those two chapters, talk, they outline most of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, almost all of chapter 6. Your enemy's been defeated. You got a covenant with God. He brought you out to a place of victory. It's a brand new day. You're not alone. The Lord is on your side. He will fight for you. He will defend you. He will go before you. He's already given you the land. It belongs to you. He began to just put these truths into the minds and the hearts of the people that were 20 years, that were 20 years and under, or 19 and under. You know, 20 years and older, were, they died in the wilderness. 19 and under, they were trained they were educated, they were raised up, they were taught the Word of God. You see, those were, they were young people, and they weren't as programmed, you can say, as, as the others. We're deprogrammed and reprogrammed, we'll get to that in a minute. But you see, he had to, he couldn't do that with these older ones. Why? They were so set in their ways, they weren't going to change. But these younger ones, he trained them under Joshua. Joshua taught them these principles and raised up a new breed of people that would be believers. Can you imagine that? Believers that actually believed. He raised up believers that would actually believe and they believed to get into the promised land. But he trained them in such a way so as to give them these truths that would help them along the way and enable them to get in. All right. So, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, again, let's go back there. Now, here is where we see God telling Joshua what he would do. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses. I'm not changing the whole plan here. I've already done it. I told Moses it was done. I'm telling you it's done. Anywhere you step, it's yours. It's your land from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee. Oh, don't you love that? I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And he just goes on and continues to reiterate, reiterate be strong, be courageous. What does that sound like to you in the New Testament? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You have an inheritance among the saints of light. It belongs to you. Everywhere you go, every place you establish your home, your dwelling, just know this. You're walking on soil that I have given you. Praise God. And I'll bless your coming in. I'll bless your going out. I'll bless your rise, lying down, your rising up. I will make you the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. I will bless you in all these ways. My favor will be upon you. We have a better covenant established upon better promises than what they had. 
right? So our inheritance is better than what they had. So we have an inheritance of the saints of light. All these things belong to us. All we need to do is believe and acknowledge that they're ours. I know that sounds too simple, but you know what? It is the truth. So God was their source is what Joshua taught them. God is our source. If you recall, even way back when, when the spies went out to spy out the land, and they came back with an evil report saying that we can't do it because we're like bugs, grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua said, wait a minute. Don't talk like that. Don't rebel against God. He's for us. He's on our side. They are bred for us. What a different mentality. What a different attitude of heart. They're bred for us. Yes, they're big. Yes, they're giants. But they're bred for us. We can eat them for lunch. Because God's on our side. Don't rebel against God. Don't fear the people of the land. Don't fear what you're facing. Don't fear what you're going through. Don't give it any attention whatsoever. Don't exalt it above the God you serve and the God that you know and the provision that he's made. He's given us all things as an inheritance in Christ Jesus our Lord. It belongs to us everywhere we go. So it doesn't matter where you hang your hat, praise God. God's favor is upon you. Jesus defeated the enemy for us. It says nothing to do with our ability, nothing to do with our strength, nothing to do with us whatsoever. As a matter of fact, he did it before you were born or I was born. And should he tarry his coming when we're gone, he's done it for everybody else who's ever born in this world. So it all happened without us being a part of it. It's not based on our performance. It's based on what he's already done for us. And he already did it and he's given us the victory. He always causes us to triumph. Next, we are more than conquerors, notice, through him who loves us. This has nothing to do with us. Just put your name attached to it. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Just call upon him. Whoever you may be, you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. And what are we supposed to do? Confess it. Declare it. He's the high priest of our confession. What we confess, praise God, before men, he confesses before the Father in heaven. When we say we believe before the doctors, he says they believe before the Father. Can you say amen? So he wants us to know the word. He wants us to get deprogrammed, reprogrammed, and transformed in the wilderness so that we could come to the edge of the promised land and say, you know what? All those things belong to me. They're mine. And praise God, as far as I'm concerned, they're my inheritance. And there's no devil. There's no fear. There's no giant going to keep me out of my land. It belongs to me. It's my inheritance. I'm taking it by faith. It's mine now. I refuse to give up, to cave in or lose heart. So God always causes us to triumph. But look at this. His promises over, they, they are weightier. They outweigh any problem that you and I could ever encounter in this life. His promises outweigh any problem we face. So God wants us to get to a place of actually believing these things. He said, only believe. What was the difference between the ten spies and the two spies? The two believed and the ten didn't. I'm telling you, it gave God fits. He was so upset with them, he wanted to disown them because they absolutely refused to believe. 
Was it the same thing that they saw in the promised land? Yes. Did they see the same giants? Yes. Did they see the same walled city? Yes. Was there anything different that they saw? No. But what was different? Two believed and ten refused to believe. The two were looking to God. The ten were looking to themselves, to their own abilities, to their own strength, which they were no match for the enemy in the natural. They were focusing on things seen while the two were focusing on things not seen. And so you see, when he says only believe, that's what he means. He didn't say work for it. He didn't say buy it. Mm -mm. He said just believe it. I believe to see the glory of God. I believe to see God move here like he's never moved before. I believe to see lives transformed by the hand of God, by the spirit of God. And since God's promises outweigh any problem, praise God, I believe to see situations in people's lives get turned around supernaturally by the hand of Almighty God. You know what I'm believing for? I'm believing for not 10% of people to rise up to a place of victorious living. I'm believing for 100% of us in this congregation to rise up to victorious living. And I'm believing for many, as many that need to, to change their mailing address. Change your mailing address. From the land of defeat to the land of victory. That's where I want to get my mail. How about you? Thank God for the victory that we have in Jesus.